It's 836, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Hope you had a great weekend. We do not go gently into the good week on the program. We start off the show like we start off every show. Three big things. Story number one, Ed Flynn, Milwaukee police chief. Is it time for him to go? Now, let me just kind of back into this topic for a second. Urban police chiefs whether it's in Milwaukee or Chicago or Los Angeles or New York or Baltimore, Atlanta, you name it, urban police chiefs tend to have a relatively short shelf life. The reason for that is that crime is one of these things that it's just almost impossible to get a hand on. And There's so many factors that go into it, and what will happen is you have police chiefs that come in, and they're like the bright, shiny new penny, and they've got all these different ideas, and they've got their solutions as to what's going to solve crime, and people get excited about it, and then ultimately it doesn't work. And people, and some urban police chiefs are good at adapting, they're willing to try new things. Others, they have their idea. There is a certain arrogance, and I don't say that necessarily a bad way, but they've got this arrogance that it's my way or the highway. They don't like people telling them to change. And as a result, uh, because crime is beyond the scope of any police chief to deal with, um, ultimately they end up wearing out their welcome. I do not think Ed Flynn has been, if you're evaluating the Flynn tenure, he, he hasn't been, well, I don't know, Arthur Jones, Arthur Jones, former Milwaukee police chief. Ed Flynn has not been Arthur Jones bad. That's kind of like the, the standard for, for bad. But but there, there's no question in my mind that, that Flynn, um, his, his policies have started to fail. And he's gotten, for want of a better word, weirder over the last several years. I think part of that was because he wanted to curry favor with the mayor, Tom Barrett, so he adopted this this weird gun mantra. Now, we have a huge problem with gun violence in the city of Milwaukee. Don't get me wrong. But what, what he decided to do, instead of confronting the problem, which is bad guys illegally carrying and illegally using guns, he decided to get on the, the Barrett mantra of, well, that we, we, need more, we need more gun control. And then a few weeks ago, the absolutely bizarre statement about how he believes that concealed carry has, is irresponsible and has contributed to the level of violence in the city. Like anybody that is involved in drive-by shootings is a concealed carry permit holder or gets their guns from somebody who is carrying a concealed carry permit. It was a staggeringly stupid statement, and there's no other way to describe it, made by, I think, a, a police chief who's kind of embattled and grasping at straws. Six years ago, the police chief adopted this policy regarding chases. He decided, um, based on really his own gut feeling, there was a series of instances where people ran for the ran from the cops and they were involved in, in hitting pedestrians, and you had loss of life. It was unfortunate. So they adopted this policy, which essentially limits the ability of the Milwaukee police, and we've talked about this on many occasions in the past, to chase unless you believe that the person you are chasing has committed a violent crime. That, that's essentially what the standard is. Well, in most chases, the cops don't know why somebody has taken off. They just don't. All they know is they put on the bubble lights and the car takes off. They don't know why it is that the person is running. So the vast majority of people aren't going to be covered by the chase policy. As a result, and the word has gotten out, people run 
regularly. What did they have? The first quarter, over like 1,500 people running. So now it's the point that you could be driving down Silver Spring Road or Capitol Drive at 95 miles an hour. You can go by a police officer, make an obscene gesture at him, and unless there's some evidence to believe that the car you are driving in has been involved in the commission of a violent crime, the cops aren't allowed to chase you. And the bad guys have known that. The drug dealers, one of the big changes in the way drug activity has worked since I was chasing drug dealers back in the 80s and early 90s, is there's not as much reliance on stationary drug houses nowadays. It used to be you'd have a house. People would come to the house. They would buy dope. Now the, the drug houses have become roving. They're, they're cars. People are operating out of the cars. What happens is um, you, you want to buy dope. You call this particular number. The drug dealer is driving around in the car. He says, okay, great, I'll meet you on the corner of 6th and National or wherever. So it's much more difficult for law enforcement to catch them. And, again, what happens is they see the car. Even if it's a stolen car, unless it was a car involved in a carjacking, they, they won't chase. So the drug dealers run. Everybody knows this. The bad guys are mocking this decision. But Ed Flynn has dug in his heels and is refusing to change, or at least, like, ostensibly, not just simply saying yes. So the Fire and Police Commission, after months of study and hearing complaints from citizens and hearing complaints um, informally, I think, from the police, you know, they direct Flynn, look, we, we want you to change the policy. We want you to give the police the discretion to chase if somebody is driving in a reckless fashion. So when that car runs through the red light at 90 miles an hour, yes, you have the discretion to go after him. Nobody is saying that you have to chase every time, but yes, you have the discretion to go after him. If it's a stolen car that starts to run, you have the discretion to go after him. If it is a car that has run from the police in the past, you have a chance to go after them instead of just letting them get away. Well, Flynn doesn't like that. So the Fire and Police Commission says, we need you to do this, and knowing Ed Flynn, if you don't do it, there's going to be disciplinary action. So what does Ed Flynn do? He goes and he hires a lawyer. Now, he has every right to hire a lawyer, and maybe he's hiring a lawyer in case he refuses to follow through on this directive, and they do, in fact, take job action, so he wants to litigate this type of stuff. But it, it shows how the Fire and Police Commission, reflecting, I think, the will and the reflection of the Common Council and the general public, they're just starting to lose faith in, in Ed Flynn. And the rumors are that he's applied for other jobs and, and he's got time left on his contract. But the, the word is that, that he's looking. Clearly, certain elements of the community are dissatisfied with him. And the truth of the matter is the crime problem continues to escalate. Now, as I say repeatedly, I don't think it's fair to blame police chiefs for for crime problems. It, that's something, in many cases, that is beyond their control. But I think police chiefs bring philosophies, and I think it is now clear, without regard to what happened when he first came here, that his philosophy of law enforcement, his philosophy of crime control, isn't working in Milwaukee in 2017. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I want to expand this concept beyond just, we've talked about the chase policy and how that needs to be changed. But is it time to make a change? Is it time for Ed Flynn to go? If Ed Flynn gets another job somewhere and leaves, will that be a bad thing? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'll start this off. 
I do not wish the police chief ill. I, I don't. I, I don't. Like I say, by modern Milwaukee police chief standards, I certainly don't think he's been anywhere near the worst. But I think everybody kind of outstays their welcome. And I think for Ed Flynn, for the city of Milwaukee, for everybody in surrounding communities who is now being plagued by crime, I think it's time for a change at the top of the Milwaukee Police Department. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 844. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. This is big thing number one. 48, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, a proposed Florida law would allow citizens to challenge any books or any materials used in the public school system. Do you think that's a good idea? Join the discussion during Scafidi and Bill's at 12.35 this afternoon. Coming up in about 15 minutes, it's, I, I didn't, I, I'm not texting this out because it is so disturbing, but f- a bunch of kids in Florida watch a man drown, they film it, they laugh about it, and now it appears there's almost nothing that authorities can do. We'll talk about that story. At 10.08, I'm going to be joined by uh, Congressman Glenn Grothman. We're going to talk about the EPA and Wisconsin, but also, I think as many people know, Congressman Grothman, um, one of the earliest and staunchest supporters of President Trump. I want to talk to him about his reaction to the Russia developments and things like that. So uh, Glenn Grothman coming up at 10.08. Right now, big story number one, uh, a confrontation brewing between the Fire and Police Commission and Milwaukee Police Chief Ed Flynn, he's hired a lawyer in the event that the Fire and Police Commission takes disciplinary action against Flynn if he doesn't change the police pursuit policy. Rumor is that Flynn is looking for another job. I think for the betterment of everybody, it's time for everybody to shake hands and the police chief to leave, and we start anew. 414-799-1620 is the number. Beth in Wausau. Beth, you're first. Good morning. Good morning. I um, I like uh, Chief Flynn. I'm not from Milwaukee, but my both my adult children and their families live there. Um, do I like the crime that's happening? No. Do I like the fact that they might have to chase cars that are uh, full of thugs? No. Uh, I don't think that's a safe way to go about it. I don't think it's Chief Flynn's fault that crime has uh, expanded in Milwaukee. I think it has to do more with the courts. I, but I think he should leave only because he doesn't have the support of the Police and Fire Commission. And you cannot do your job when everywhere you turn, you're being backstabbed and not supported. So for his sake, I wish him well. And, um, uh, you know. Well, I mean, I, thanks to call. I mean, I, look, I, I wish him well, too. I, I, don't, I don't agree with the idea of, of the, the phrase the backstabbing, though, because the, the, the truth of the matter is, and as I say repeatedly, I agree with you that, you know, the, the problems of crime are beyond the ability of a police chief to solve. I agree with you that part of the problem is the catch-and-release Milwaukee County court system to the point where the, the chief, the one point he makes, good point he makes about the pursuit policy is we chase them, we catch them, and they're back out on the street, you know, three hours later laughing at us because of the court system. That is a legitimate point. But that doesn't mean to me that you just don't go ahead and you don't apprehend them. I mean, I think it is perfectly fair for... I don't know, civilian authorities and for the community in general to look at policing policies and to say this is working or this isn't working. And and this happens, like I say, this happens in urban areas all the time. I think... 
that one of the big problems with the police chief is the, the arrogance. And you, and you see this a lot of times in a lot of police departments. You know, the arrogance that I, I'm, I'm, I know what's better. And even if something I'm doing ultimately isn't working, I'm going to stick with it. And how dare you tell me, you know, how to do my, my job. They come in with these different philosophies of law enforcement. You try it for a while. Maybe it works for a while. But ultimately, it doesn't. And if you look at the escalating level of violence in the city, um, what what we're doing now doesn't work. It's not working. I think, candidly, if I were hiring another police chief, it would be a real law and order guy. It would be some, and I'm not sure that Tom Barrett wants to do that. It would be somebody who would come in and say, "All right, we are really going to adopt this broken windows philosophy. We're going to recognize that the little stuff matters. It becomes big stuff." I'd like to see a police chief who is willing to name names, who's willing to call out judges on a regular basis when they make ridiculous decisions, instead of leaving that to people like talk radio hosts when somebody who's out on a bail that shouldn't have been set in the first place goes out and commits a serious crime or you know, drives drunk and hits and kills somebody. I mean, I, I'd like I'd like law enforcement. I wish the mayor would have the guts to do that, but, you know, that's not going to happen. But at some point in time, I think you have to make changes. Jeff in Waukesha. Jeff, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Uh, the real problem here is you said, yeah, we'll hire a law and order type police chief, and, and you also alluded to the fact that you don't think Mayor Barrett would do that, and he would and that's the problem. I mean, the police chief serves uh, as an appointment to the mayor. The mayor's got the authority to fire him. Okay, the police chief has the uh, option of appealing his suspension, firing, or demotion to the police and fire commission, who is, in turn, appointed by the mayor. Right. And the structure itself is really the problem. I think Ed Flynn, had he been allowed to do his job since day one, could have done a lot better. But he, again, had to curry favor, to use your words earlier in the program, yeah. with the mayor. I, I agree. I mean, I, see, I don't believe – I'll let you make your point, Jeff. I, I agree. I, see, I don't think Ed Flynn seriously believes half the things he says. You know, I, I just don't. The, the stuff about, like, concealed carry and all these things, I don't – I don't. some of the things he says are so ridiculous that I don't right think he believes them. Yeah, right, exactly. I think this is – it's mayor. Tom Barrett – right, It's this is what Tom Barrett wants to say, so Flynn says it, because I don't think anybody who's seriously involved in law enforcement, for example, could sit there and say, gee, I think the reason that we have this spike in violent crime in Milwaukee is because of concealed carry. But that's, that's, that's Barrett talking, yeah. and it's Flynn's lips – moving you know and until that structure changes where if a fire if a police chief gets fired by the mayor should have the option of going to independent arbitration where there's no political pressure he can make his case and get a fair judgment on it uh i mean you think the fact it was ahead of the dpw that gets fired they can go to independent arbitration the head of any other department other than police and fire can go to independent arbitration to decide whether or not the firing was just uh police and fire don't have that option and it's basically an extension of the mayor it's Okay, look in your crystal ball. By, look in your crystal ball. We're sitting here. It's we're going on the end of July. By January first of next year, is Ed Flynn the chief of police in Milwaukee? I don't think so. I don't think but so. But I, I, I think basically you're just taking your, but you're you're going to be right back in the same area. I, I no, I think again, but think, I I don't disagree with that either. And and the truth is, as I was saying earlier too, um, and as critical as I have been of Ed Flynn, particularly the last couple of years, where I think he's gotten very very political. Um, the, the truth is that the shelf life, as I said earlier, of urban police chiefs is relatively limited because you come in with these different initiatives, you try them out, and, and ultimately, they, you know, they they work 
maybe for a little while, then they don't work, then parts of the community get upset with you. Um, let's see, Connie writes on our text line, yes, he should go. He destroyed the city with his no-chase policy. Crime is out of control. Yes, crime is out of control. Yes, the no-chase policy, I think, has contributed to that. Destroyed the city, I think that might be a, a sort of a harsh type of thing. But... Um, and, of course, now you've got Flynn with his ego, and I understand people in those occupations have ego, who doesn't like being having policy dictated to him by the Fire and Police Commission. I think, in general, the best thing to happen right now would be for the police chief to move into the sunset. Hopefully, I don't know where he's interviewing for jobs. Find a job somewhere else, move into the sunset, and us move forward now the other question is moving forward what are you going to do is tom barrett going to go out and try to find a law and order police chief or are we going to have okay more of this touchy-feely type of stuff where instead of trying to get criminals off the street we want to sit around and we want to sing kumbaya that's of course another question it's eight fifty-six. this is jeff wagner keep in mind 1008 we've got glenn grothman big thing number two This Florida drowning, if you wonder whether this world is becoming like Lord of the Flies, this story gives you an answer. It's 856. This is Jeff Wagner. 908, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. You know the summer is here. First cream puff of the summer. You know, I I, I try to ration my cream puff intake, but I I went back into programming during the break. There was an uneaten six-pack of cream puffs. I asked when they came in. They came in relatively recently. So I, I just I, I'm halfway through it. Had, had half during the break. Don't don't know if I'll have the other half, but um, state fair in two weeks. Colleen Bolin, you're you're smiling there, huh? Oh yeah. You I, were thinking about you. You have not had one of those cream puffs yet. No, I haven't. I may have to go back there though. Yeah, absolutely, because there are only six of them, and I've had one. So Hondo's will be Hondo be. So you, I'm just saying, act now because they might be gone quickly. So um, right, state fair coming up a week from um, a week from Thursday, as a matter of fact, and. Um, this time, my program is going to be originating from there. So we're starting at 8.30. And I, I think when you add it all up, we're going to have more live coverage from the State Fair this year than perhaps we have we have ever had, or at least that we've had in the uh, recent future. So that'll be a lot of fun. Okay, big story number two. I, I had to. I couldn't lead off with this one because it's one of those where my blood pressure is just going through the roof. And it's, it's really, if you wonder, you know, the old book, Lord of the Flies, where, you know, you have children that are involved, the, the plane crashes and the kids get on their own island and they start creating their society and, and essentially it just deteriorates into complete and total anarchy. Well, you, you do wonder what is going on with generations of, of young people. All right. The story involves a 31-year-old man named Jamel Dunn. He lives, it's a small suburb, like a bedroom community outside of Orlando. He's 31 years old. He, he's disabled. He drowns in a pond on July 9th. He, but they don't know that at the time. He had gone missing. People didn't know where he was. They found him a couple days later when, again, he floats up. Don't mean to be brutal, but that's exactly what happened. So people were wondering what had happened to him, where had he gone. He drowned in the pond. Now, we know, however, how he died. And we know when he died, because what happened was he's a, he is disabled. Don't know why he went into the pond. He was in this pond voluntarily, as near as authorities can tell. Um, but he quickly, he, he was in trouble. He started floundering and you know, gasping for air, screaming for help, all those different types of things. How do we know this? 
Well, it turns out that there were five teenage boys between the ages of 14 and 16 who were around the pond at the time that Jamel Dunn was in it. The kids were apparently there smoking pot. Now, there is a video of this, and and I I really debated this morning about whether or not we would text it out to you if you want, and I, I just, it's so infuriating. And it's so in such bad taste that I just decided not to. If you want to see it, it it's certainly out there. You won't have any trouble finding it. But we're, we're not going to hook it up on the text line. So anyhow, you got these five kids, ages 14 to 16. They're, they're at this pond. And you've got the disabled man who's in the pond. He's struggling. He, he's drowning. All right. Now, what might you do if that was you and you see somebody in the pond flailing for help? Well... You would like to think that if any of you were were swimmers, you would go and try to help save the man, right? Now, sometimes, though, maybe you're not good swimmers yourself, and then you just put yourself in jeopardy. So maybe you're not going to jump in and try to save him, um, but you're certainly going to call 911 and say, there's a man, somebody, now, I would like to think that if I was 14 or 15 years old, hanging out around a lagoon with four of my buddies, regardless of what we were doing, and we see somebody starting to drown, we're either going to do whatever we can to save him, um, at the very least, somebody is going to call 911, and somebody else is going to go run for help. I mean, that that's at least how I'd like to think that we would have behaved, and I'm pretty sure we would. These five punks... Do not do that. They, they don't call 911. They don't seek to help him. What they do is they video, they pull out their cell phone and take a cell phone video of the man's last couple minutes. And they offer a running commentary watching the man drown. It is one of the... Well, I don't know. I don't want to overstate this, but it is it is incredibly scary and aggravating thing. You can hear the commentary. Dude is going to drown. Obscenities. Oh, you know, hey, we're not helping you, buddy. They are they are laughing at this man as he is drowning and they're offering like a running commentary to the drowning. So he drowns. He goes under. The kids then leave. They, they don't call the authorities. They, they do nothing. They just leave after this man has gone under the water. Then what they do is they take the cell phone video and, and they post it on, on the Internet. They put it up there, them filming and offering a running commentary. At one point, one of the teenage boys can be heard laughing and saying, he's dead. So they record the incident, they chuckle while he's drowning, they post the incident on YouTube, they do not alert authorities. The family had filed a missing person's report, um, and then ultimately, like I say, his body is recovered from the water on July 9th. He drowns on July 14th. So he's gone for five days. Family doesn't know where this guy is, he's dead in the pond. People know, at least five kids know what had happened, and they've got this video up there. Um, they are not releasing the names of the teenagers because they are juveniles. The cops go out, they interview them. They say at least one of the teenagers expressed absolutely no remorse while being interviewed by the detectives. Um, yeah, it's like, hey, we, we did this. 
We we were you know yeah we were laughing. This was this was entertainment. This was their entertainment watching this kid drown. Not what's man drown. What is even more frustrating is there doesn't appear to be anything Florida authorities can significantly do to these kids. In Florida, as in most states, there is no law requiring you to offer assistance. Let me just say that again. There's no law requiring you to offer assistance. There, There is a law which says that you have an obligation to essentially report a dead body, and it, it might be might be that's a misdemeanor that you could figure out a way to charge these kids but they're juveniles it's a misdemeanor but there's no obligation there's no obligation to help at all no requirement and essentially there is nothing the police can do there's nothing the court system can do to these five kids who sat and watched this not only watched the man drown but laughed at him and filmed it there's a story that completely and totally put me over the top in USA Today where they've got these psychologists from Florida who are explaining why these kids did this. Well, they're desensitized because they fi- they play violent video games and movies and they see news reports of mass shootings. That's crazy psychobabble. These kids are thugs. These kids are punks. These kids have no regard for human life and it's not violent video games. They are just Awful people. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As a starting point, as a starting point, it is unfortunate, but I think I think there needs to be law. Laws which require people to render assistance in life-threatening situations or at least alert authorities. I'm not saying that there's a burning building that you have a crim- you have a should have a legal obligation to run into that burning building. But I think at the very least you should have an obligation to notify authorities. There's that burning building, or there's that man drowning. At least to make that 911 call or to try to get help. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is one of those situations where, if there's not a law, and there's apparently not. There ought to be one. I think it is nothing short of appalling that these kids, first of all, made the decision to watch this man drown. Number two, filmed the man drowning, laughing all along. And three, can walk away with no accountability at all after the man drowned. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 917. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Nine twenty, Jeff Ragnar, six twenty, WTMJ from Brewtown to Cooperstown. We honor the career of Bud Selig as he gets ready to enter the Hall of Fame. Does anybody really know Bud better than Mister Baseball? Bob Euchre joins Greg Matzik on Sports Central this evening at six thirty-five. We're talking about this case in, out of Florida where these five kids watch a disabled man drown in a pond. They don't call nine one one. They don't try to help him. They mock him as he is drowning. They film it. They post it on video. It's just a disgrace, and there doesn't appear to be anything Florida authorities can do. I think the law needs to change. On top of that, an infuriating story in USA Today, drowning case teaches lesson about social media's impact on society. 
And the story essentially says, well, let's not be too harsh on the kids. I mean, they, they play violent video games, and they see evidence of mass shootings on TV. So that explains why they sit around and laugh and watch a man drown. No, these are miserable human beings. They're miserable human beings, and unfortunately, there's nothing that the authorities can do right now. That, that I think, needs to change. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, let's see. Lori on our text line says um, that she thinks that what they should do, the authorities should um, release the name of the – release the thug's name so they can be judged in the court of public opinion. No, they're not going to do that because these – first of all, they didn't commit a crime. And secondly – they're juveniles, and so we want to protect the juveniles. We don't want to expose them to the ridicule. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Justin says it's sad that the final episode of Seinfeld, yeah, has come to um, real life, purely inhuman behavior. I say amen. Greg in Reedsville. Greg, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Morning. Um, I was telling your screener I was trying to be as tactful as I could, but. I believe these kids need to be charged. Mm-hmm. I mean, they might—they may as well have just held up a gun and shot the guy in the head. I mean, regardless of why he was in the pond, right. they should have done something yep. rather than sit there and laugh at him. Right. I mean, that's Call 911, somebody run for help. Um, maybe if the kids are swimmers, you go out, you try to help them. I mean, something, yes. I, I wholeheartedly agree. I think it is absolutely ridiculous. That, and then you said one of the kids didn't even show any remorse when he was yep. being interviewed. Yep. He needs some serious psychological help. Oh, yeah. Well, exactly. I mean, thanks. I mean, no, I, I, but here's the problem. There's nothing, right? There, most states do not have any laws which require you to help. You, you do not, you, you can, as long as you, you're not allowed to interfere. But as long as you, if, if you watch somebody, Again, you watch somebody being beaten and robbed. You watch a woman being sexually assaulted. As long as you're not doing that, you do not have a legal obligation to go over, not only and intervene, but a legal obligation to report it. And unfortunately, I I think that's where the law needs to change. I think you need to have a law that you wouldn't think that you would do that, but you need, I think, to have a law that says you need to act reasonably um, and then allow that to happen, because otherwise this type of stuff is going to go on. To blame this, though, on, like, violent video games, no, these, these kids are awful human beings. They're awful human beings with no regard for life. And if they're awful human beings that would stand by and laugh at a disabled man while he drowns, film it, and not tell anybody. I mean, not tell anybody. How could, I, how could you live with that? I mean, seriously, if you that's the type of thing you would think that if you had any shred of conscience at all, you would you'd be giving you nightmares. It would be haunting you that you stood there and you laughed at somebody watching them drown. And you don't tell anybody knowing that there's people looking for him, knowing that there's loved ones who don't know what happened to their disabled brother or son or cousin or whatever. How do you live with that? And not only do these punks. Not only do these little animals not express any sort of remorse at all, they, they don't tell anybody, and they have the audacity to post the video on YouTube. Really? Angela in Milwaukee. Angela, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. What do you think? Um, yeah. Well, I just want to know, when are parents going to be held accountable for the actions of their children? I mean, these kids 
were raised by their parents. They were raised with no regard for human respect. Or, or not raised by their parents. Or, yeah. or not raised. I mean, I don't understand when parents, when are they going to be held accountable? The, this is a this is a, a direct reflection on parenting. My children never would have done something like that. They're raised with morals and to be respectful for people in general. I don't understand it. Parents need to be held accountable soon. What would well? What would when you let me follow up on that? What would you What would you have done to the parents? Um, well, maybe they could. Maybe they might be fined. I mean, that's I mean, monetary value on a human life, of right. course, is insignificant. But I don't. I don't really know what yeah. the answer is. But they need to be held accountable somehow. How I really don't know. But some of these kids, they they are just they're raised with no no soul, no conscience. No yeah, no soul, no, no conscience. conscience. No, well, I, I mean, parent, the parents have to be. The parents are the ones that raise them. Yeah, I, mean, I, think, I don't now, understand now, it. You know, now the Florida papers say that. I mean, people know who these kids are. Again, they're not releasing their names. Florida papers say that that the the parents are expressing shock and outrage. At least a couple of the parents that their kids would would do something like this. I mean, I guess I. I mean, I don't know how in a situation like this you hold the parents accountable, especially since there's no legal duty on the part of, of anybody to intervene and offer help. It's one thing, though, what, what really bothers me about this, it's one thing, though, to say that the law says you don't have to run into a burning building and, and help pull somebody out. Or if, if you don't swim, you know, I mean, if you don't swim, I'm not expecting somebody to go, like, jump into a pond and try to help somebody who's drowning because that, that means you're going to have two people that are drowning. But, I mean, this idea that it's not only that you don't have any obligation to do anything, including calling for help or running for help, but on top of that, this idea that you can do this and you can put up the video, and you can laugh, and you can mock the person. Something is very, very wrong. These kids are really, really very wrong. This is not the act of a civilized society or civilized people. These kids are nothing short of animals. It's Lord of the Flies, and unfortunately, the way the law stands now, there's nothing that anybody can do about it. That's big story number two. Wish I had better answers. And if you want to see the video, like I say, if you just put, you know, drowning, and you, it's it's in the town of Coco, um, which is right outside of Orlando. You know, you can see the two-minute video. It's a two-minute video, um, adult warnings, because the kids are using, these are 14 to 15, 15 and 16-year-old kids. They're doing the commentary. There's lots of the F word and things like that in it. But they just stood by, mocked a man while he drowned. What can you say? 927, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, our text line appropriately exploding here. Kids today have no respect for anything. Rich, poor, black, white, does not matter. Time for a two-year civil service draft at 18 and 19. I don't know. I, I don't know. These, these 14, 15, and 16-year-old kids um, who stood by and laughed and took the video while the disabled man drowned, I, I don't know. Do you, you, you can draft them. You can have them doing public works projects or put them in the Army. I don't know that I want those type of people in there. And unfortunately, I don't think that this is a unique situation. I think that there's probably a lot of people who would do exactly the same thing. And again, very, very frustrating because it's not illegal. I think you need to look at at least some way of holding the kids accountable for doing this type of thing. Somebody is dead. I don't know if ultimately he could have been saved. But I do know... That you can't, you shouldn't be able to just watch somebody die, 
go away, laugh about it, post a YouTube video, and when his body floats up a few days later, um, in some cases, one of the kids says he's not sorry at all. This was just entertainment. And then, of course, then you've got some of the psychobabble that blames video games. Give me a break. These kids are horrible human beings. They will grow up to be horrible human beings, period, case closed. Nine thirty-five. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. The Brewers are now two thirds of the way through their longest road trip of the year. <laughs> yeah. <it's, laughs> what, what, what do you say? I mean, I, I just, I'm trying to be philosophical about the collapse of this team, and I, I mean, I hope they can turn it around. But here's, here's kind of the reality. R- regardless of where they end up, it's been a pretty darn good season. Um, there, nobody expected them to be you know a 500 team and you know they, they've been in first place and they've fallen apart and uh the truth is they're just not as good as some of the other teams and you hope they can turn it around but even so i mean i think there's hope for the future even though again they're just cratering after an off day today they take on nl east leading nationals so they're what one and six on this trip um lost seven out of eight Blew an eight-run lead Saturday night and are lucky to have won that game. Jeff and Lane are live from the nation's capital, 530 tomorrow night, sponsored by Delta Dental. Don't give up, Hope fans. Again, this even if this doesn't turn out to be the year, um, I think they've got I think the Brewers are on the right track and I think management understands. This is I think what's happened over the last week or so is pretty dem- demonstrative evidence that you, you don't Take some of your franchise players, your up-and-coming players, and trade them for a short-term solution. You you stick with the plan. And these rebuilding plans, you look at what the Astros did. It, it took four or five years, and the Brewers are really into year two, maybe two and a half of the rebuilding plan. You're already seeing success. So that's that's my take on it. I'm frustrated like everybody, every fan is. But, you know, you got to understand, you take the good with the bad. Okay, big story number three. The president back in the news. We touched on this on Friday when there were reports about it. Um, Now it's sort of been confirmed because the the president over the weekend took to Twitter once again and released what uh, a lot of news stories are saying what was a Twitter storm, you know, a series of various tweets about all sorts of different things, but um, confirming you know that that he's he's been looking at at his pardon power under the constitution the president has the power to pardon individuals for pretty much anything um one of the misconceptions is that somebody needs to be charged with a crime before they can be pardoned that's not true gerald ford pardoned richard nixon before any any charges had, had been issued. So you, you can do it as a preemptive way to end investigations. Over the weekend, President Trump took to Twitter, asserted that he had the complete power to pardon relatives, aides, and maybe even himself in response to investigations into Russia's meddling in last year's election. Um, he suggested in his early morning tweets that he had no need to use pardon power at this point, but he left the um, option open. Now, um, let's see. The I, I will tell you this. I, I think it is very much up in the air as to whether a president can pardon himself for for federal criminal offenses. But th- that's something that would have to be decided in the courts. There's no question that people could 
um, that he could pardon. He could pardon his son-in-law. He could pardon his son. He could pardon his campaign aides. He could essentially end this investigation into whether or not there was collusion by the Trump campaign or by relatives or whatever. He could end this by simply issuing pardons. He could put an end to this once and for all. Now, I am somebody who believes that the Russia, 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 Russia story has been grossly overcovered. Obviously, I, I think, you know, you want to investigate to determine what Russia did to try to meddle in our election. I think that's clear. And if you find evidence indicating that there really was some sort of collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia that might rise to the level of crime, well, that would be a big deal. But at the same time, I, I continue to believe that this is the story is incredibly overblown in the media. Some of you disagree. Some of you agree. I mean, I'm concerned with health care. I'm concerned with national security. I'm concerned with tax policy. I'm concerned with jobs. Those are the things that, in the big picture, I think matter more to the American people. But Donald Trump could short-circuit this entire thing. He could take the legs out from special counsel Robert Mueller simply by issuing pardons and preemptively putting an end to this. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. He is saying right now he doesn't need to do this. There's nothing here, doesn't need to do it. But as the investigation continues, as more subpoenas start flying, as the prosecutor decides he's going to subpoena his tax returns or things like that, um, obviously, there's going to be more of an in- inclination on the part of the president to consider this. I personally think it would be disastrous for the Trump presidency and candidly for the country for President Trump to start pardoning people close to him, including relatives. I think that would be disastrous. But maybe you disagree. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Even as somebody who's sick of the whole Russia investigation, I, I think to use the pardon power would be a disaster. What do you think? 414-799-1620 is the number we discuss next. It's 941. If you're on the line, please hold on. Nine forty four, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. Coming up in about twenty minutes, we're going to be talking to Congressman Glenn Grothman, who's in a position of, well, he's fighting the EPA and he's winning. So we'll discuss that. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, big story number three: President Trump suggesting in tweets over the weekend that he believes he has complete power to pardon, including maybe the power to pardon himself. Which um, congressional, with a lot of a lot of constitutional authorities, disagree with. I I don't know, um, but he clearly has the power to pardon pretty much anybody else that he would choose. And while he's saying not saying that he's going to do it, he is suggesting he has the complete power to pardon people, and at least implying that that might be an alternative that he would choose. If the special counsel's investigation into his campaign and his campaign staff and his family members into their interactions with Russia, if this you know proceeds too far, I mean, his statement is, um, we have the power to pardon. Um, there, there's no crime here. The only crime so far is leaks against us, fake news, all these different types of things. My advice to the president would be simple. If you want to end your presidency effectively – 
you you issue pardons. There, there's no more, I think, controversial use of presidential power, with perhaps the exception of the the right to go to war and the um, um, to carry on military activities, than the pardon power. I think that if you've watched over the years the way some presidents, President Clinton and President Obama, come to mind, the way they have used the pardon power, particularly in the latter stages of their presidency has been extremely controversial. Um, it's always you kind of like hold your breath the last week of a presidential term when a president is leaving office because you wonder what they are going to do. Very, very controversial. I think if you look at Gerald Ford, I can firmly believe Gerald Ford would have been elected in his own right as the president back in 1976 after taking over when Richard Nixon resigned, except for the fact that he made the decision it was in the interest of the country to try to get beyond Watergate and pardon Richard Nixon. And I think the backlash from that caused his popularity to, cr- to crater, and he was never able to recover from that, and he ended up losing to Jimmy Carter. Um, Gerald Ford had a little bit of goodwill because he had taken over from Richard Nixon. There was lots of distrust after Watergate, but the decision to pardon Richard Nixon cost him his chance to be the president in his own right. I think the same exact thing would apply in a case of Donald Trump. Trump does not have the same degree of goodwill that Gerald Ford had. There's just no question about it. And were President Trump to pardon campaign aides or family members, a, a blanket sort of pardon, either to preempt an independent special counsel investigation or if it appeared that there were potential charges, do I think it would lead to impeachment? Probably not right now with Republicans maintaining majorities in Congress. But I think for President Trump to issue pardons, number one, it would end, it, it would guarantee that you know his popularity would probably plunge to about 25 percent and never get above that secondly if he were to issue pardons certainly in advance of the midterm elections i am not by the way convinced at all that these midterm elections are going to be the bloodbath for republicans that a lot of people in the mainstream media are hoping for i will tell you this though if president trump were issue to issue blanket pardons that would lead to the electoral bloodbath because every single Republican running for U.S. Senate and running for the House. That would be the dominant theme in every ad run against them. Here, you know, this is what's happened. This is what gets happens when you get Republican leadership. You get this effort of a president to try to protect his family members or his friends or whatever. It would be disastrous for the country, and it would be disastrous for Republicans. So I guess my advice to President Trump would be just because you have the right to do something, the power invested in you by the Constitution to issue pardons doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. And on so many levels, this would not be the right thing to do. It's 950. This is Jeff Wagner. Nine fifty-two. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. A prominent Democrat has entered the race for governor. What will it take to knock off Scott Walker, or is he unbeatable next fall? John McCure will explore at three twenty during Wisconsin's afternoon news. Check that out. Um, coming up in the ten o'clock hour, Congressman Glenn Grothman talks the EPA and all things Washington. The city of Milwaukee deciding maybe this rapid bus transit line isn't such a good deal after all. 
something I have been saying for a couple years now, and Foxconn fever, should we catch it? I want to double back on something that happened just a couple days ago, and it's um, it's one of these things that underscores the difference between like the local DA's office and the federal prosecutors. You will remember last summer you had the, the Sherman Park riots um, early August, mid-August. Going on. It's about a year, been about a year now. Um, you, you had a, a bunch of thugs who were looking for an excuse to, to riot. And th- that excuse ended up being, uh, you know, former Milwaukee police officer um, Dominic Hagan Brown shooting um, a, a 23-year-old guy, Slaville Smith. And, and that, and of course, Hagan Brown is African-American, as was the victim. So it's, it, this isn't one of these, hey, you've got a white cop that, that shot a black man. And, and everybody, I think, probably remembers the scenario. Slaville Smith was fleeing, um, had a firearm, and ended up, in what was a very misguided prosecution by John Chisholm, who I think in an effort to curry favor with certain elements of the community more than anything else, decided to hang the police officer out to dry. The jury acquitted him. It was one of those deals where John Chisholm said, if you remember, you got the guy who's fleeing from the cop. He's got the gun. Chisholm's theory was, well, the officer fired twice. The first shot which he fired was legitimate exercise in self-defense. The second shot that he fired... One point, what, four seconds later, boom, boom, that second shot was manslaughter. It was a ridiculous theory. Matter of fact, I I know lots of people in the law enforcement community were just outraged that Chisholm would do it. It wasn't based on the law. It wasn't based on good judgment. The decision to bring those charges was based on politics, pure and simple, because that shooting uh, by the police officer was the justification that some people used to essentially engage in a riot. And it's been going on, like I say, that happened a year ago. The district attorney's office still hasn't done anything at all. Well, um, the federal government has stepped in, and there's at least been one person so far who has been charged with burning down that BP gas station, a guy named Stephen Ruffin, who is a 30-something-year-old Milwaukee resident, has been charged with rioting arson and arson in connection with a felony related to the arson at Big Jim's Liquor Store. Um, These are the first to be filed for any of the arson fires last year, but it is apparent that the feds are working on this, and they're working with the federal prosecutors because I think the federal prosecutors, and I'm biased here, but the federal prosecutors... Um, will do a much, much better job of this. Um, Apparently, um, you have four people who were charged with stealing items from businesses during the looting. But as far as the arson, apparently the investigation, they have footage, surveillance footage from the burning of the liquor store, which showed Ruffin and another man allegedly purchase alcohol in the store about 8.15, about midnight, Ruffin and two unidentified men allegedly show up at the rear entrance of Big Jim's with bolt cutters, but they fail to gain entry and they leave. An hour later, Ruffin and an unidentified man return to the rear entrance where they sprayed charcoal lighter fluid around the liquor store's air conditioning unit and attempted to break in through the back door. Shortly after, the men ignited an unidentified item and placed it next to the door and left. 
The fire caused structural and external damage to the store. Officers searched Ruffin's residence where they found clothing that matched the security footage and his cell phone. Cell phone records indicated that Ruffin used the phone around the liquor store several times near the time of the arson on August 14th. Several texts on the phone also indicated that Ruffin participated in the unrest around Milwaukee, according to the complaint. For example, they've got texts. After midnight, he received a text asking if he was home. I'm riding with him, with them, though he wrote back. An hour later, 122, someone texted him asking why he hadn't called. It's a riot out here. This liquor store arson happened about 154. So um, here's what you have happening. You have at least the federal government saying, hey, you know, if you decide that you want to use civil unrest as an excuse to, I don't know, set fire to a liquor store that you were allegedly trying to break into an hour or two before because, hey, there's lots of liquor in here. Let's get in there and help ourselves, that it's going to be treated as a big deal. My sense is I think it's just a criminal complaint. I don't know that it's returned. There's been a grand jury indictment yet, but at least ATF is working on this. And these are the type of things that also underscore something that a lot of us were saying a year ago. That these these riots, the let's burn this, let's burn the gas station, let's burn the the liquor store. This wasn't civil unrest based on uh, oh gee, we are outraged because there's been something that's going on in the community. What you had is you had some very very bad people who were looking for an excuse to loot, to steal, to take things that they were not entitled to and did not belong to them. This idea that, oh, this was, again, civil unrest or whatever, nuts to that. This was a bunch of bad people who decided that they want to loot, were looking for any excuse they possibly could to do it, and that's what happened, and that is the lesson of the Sherman Park riots. Um, so at least the federal government's starting to issue charges. I hope they're able to identify more people. I hope they're able to bring more arson charges as a way of, if not deterring this from, from happening in the future, at least punishing the people that did it. Okay, coming up in less than 10 minutes, we're going to talk uh, everything Washington and everything Sheboygan with Congressman Glenn Grothman. After that, Foxconn fever and the city of Milwaukee saying let's rethink this rapid bus transit system that's going to tear up the streets and force people out of their cars. Stick around. It's 9.59. It's 10.09. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Over the last couple of days, we've had the opportunity to be joined by Speaker of the House of Representatives, Paul Ryan, uh, the senior senator from the state of Wisconsin, Ron Johnson. Now it is my great pleasure to be joined by the congressman who represents the 6th Congressional District, Glenn Grothman. Congressman, good morning. Good morning. Glad to be on the show. Thank you for have, uh, Thanks for coming on. I, first, I, I want to talk to you about a number of things, but, but first of all, you have been, you know, there's the old song that says, you know, I, I, um, I fought the law and the law won. You, you've been engaged in sort of a battle on behalf of your constituents against the EPA, and it seems like you're winning. Well, hopefully, uh, we passed a bill last week. Um, which will begin to rain in the EPA. You know, so many of us up and down the lakeshore, and I represent obviously Sheboygan County, which is really influenced by this, uh, have been considered or threatened with being considered a non-attainment area. Yeah, what does that, that mean course, for people who, who don't well, know? It affects the average person, and then it affects 
uh, your car admissions. And of course, we all have to go in every two years and you can wind up spending substantial amounts on your car. But it also means as far as industry is concerned, and so your listeners know Wisconsin is the second biggest manufacturing state in the country as far as percent of population next to Indiana. It makes it more expensive if you're going to expand or put in new uh, manufacturing facilities in counties such as Sheboygan County. So it puts you at a competitive disadvantage, not only a competitive disadvantage compared to other areas of the country, but obviously a huge competitive disadvantage compared to other countries. And if you look, ozone levels are down like a third nationwide uh, in the last 35 years. So I don't remember, you and I are about the same age, I don't remember growing up and saying we have this huge ozone problem in the 1970s or 1960s. There is way less ozone in the area uh, than at that time, but I think sometimes the Environmental Protection Agency lacking in common sense, it's all easy to come up with a new rule and say, okay, industry, you have to deal with it, but then industry does have to deal with it. If other industries aren't dealing with it in other parts of the country or the world, um, it hurts our hurts our economic climate. So we did make progress last week. I was glad to vote for uh, the bill changing the way EPA is going to have to deal with this, and hopefully we'll make more pro- more uh, progress in the future. So essentially, the, the way it works is right now Sheboygan classified Sheboygan County is classified as a as a non attainment district, indicating that there are air pollution quality problems. So if they're, if Too industries are going to do stuff, they have to, again, negotiate for credits and things like that. And your position would be that there's really not an ozone problem in Sheboygan County? Well, they ought to delay it. Uh, they, right. It's it's not the, the – the problem is not to the degree to which the EPA says it's a problem. Mm-hmm. A couple days a year, in order to determine whether or not we have an ozone problem, uh, monitors are established. If you put the monitor right up against Lake Michigan, you're going to get a worse reading than if you put it five miles in, but it affects the whole county. Uh, a lot of, insofar as we do have ozone in Sheboygan or Ozaki County, a lot of that is because pollutants coming up from Chicago or even even further south than that, so there's nothing we could do to replace it, uh, to, to do to, to solve the problem. Right. right. But it hurts our area, and in a variety of ways, um, this new legislation will help us. It will delay the implementation. It'll mean that in the future the EPA does not have to look at these counties every five years. They can look at it every ten years, and uh, hopefully this will help get us out from under the problem. We're talking to Congressman Glenn Grothman. So, Glenn, how do you respond when you have some of the environmental activists who say this is just another example that Congressman Grothman, you know, he, he hates the environment and he hates people <laughs> who are going to now have to choke themselves on polluted air? Well, again, we have so much less ozone around here than we did 30 years ago. And like I said, I don't remember 30 years ago feeling that I was in the middle of a crisis situation. So, no, we're we're not going to be around here looking like we're Los Angeles in the 60s or China today, uh, you know, by every by any normal standard uh we have very clean air in southeastern wisconsin glenn while i have you let's switch gears and talk about a couple other things that i know are on the minds of wisconsin residents um first of all health care the house passed a repeal and replace sort of bill um the senate right now appears hamstrung um, there's some talk about just repealing Obamacare. There's others who say we would like to come up with a replacement, that there doesn't appear to be votes. What, what is the status of health care reform, and where do you think this needs to go? 
Well, I think hopefully within the next, next couple months, as it becomes more and more apparent Obamacare is falling apart, it will create the political environment in which the Senate has to act. You know, I spend a lot of time back home. When I get back home in my district, I meet a lot of people. And a lot of times the more Democrat-leaning people are saying, you can't vote for this, you can't vote for this, just let Obamacare continue. Well, as more insurance companies say, I cannot operate under Obamacare, a lot of people who have Obamacare insurance now are not going to have it. And the more people who don't have it, maybe even these people who are saying vote no, vote no on everything, are going to realize Congress has to do something. A lot of times you get questions, why can't the Republicans get their act together? The problem is this. Under Obamacare, it caused some people to be in Obamacare, but even more as um, employers dropped their health insurance, more and more people got on some form of government insurance. And the more people on government insurance, the harder it is uh, to vote for something in which they don't continue to get covered. So on the one hand, you've got the people saying the government ought to get out of it altogether and the government was never in it in the first place. There's no doubt in my mind that the cost of health care in this country would be a fraction of what it is today. But you've got other people saying, well, we do have to take care of everybody, and that includes a lot of Republicans. And given that you need 50 of the 52 Republicans together, it's hard to thread that needle between the two two items. I do wish they would spend more time focusing on cost, mm-hmm. because the underlying problem in this country, whether you're talking about government health insurance, uh, Medicare, that sort of thing, whether you're talking about an employer providing insurance or whether you're going out there on the individual market yourself, is the overall cost. And I think that cost is driven by the fact that as long as you have a model of somebody else is paying for the health care, people are not shopping on price, and people are sometimes going in to see doctors when that when it's not necessary. That, by the way, is particularly true for Medicaid, which in Wisconsin is known as Badger Care. If you talk to anybody in the medical industry, they will tell you people on Badger Care frequently come into the emergency room or come to doctors that people who get their insurance either buying their own insurance or through their employer with their big $2,000, $3,000, $5,000 deductibles are not going to a doctor for. So they should have people on Medicaid pay something if they go to an emergency room or go in to see a doctor. Now, I, I just the, the, I don't know if you saw it. The headline above the fold in the local newspaper today um, t- takes aim at something that, that you had just said. Um, is Obamacare failing? No. Republican polit- This is the first line. Republican politicians rarely mention Obamacare without adding the adjective failing. It's happened repeatedly, but is re- Obamacare really failing? And then it goes on to conclude no. That's, that's just not reality, is it? Well, this is why maybe it won't pass for another two or three months. We have to wait until people like the editors for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel physically see more counties in which there is no health insurance offered at all under Obamacare. That is what we would call failing. I might not get this number exactly right, but there's something like 96 counties in Iowa. By this time next year, something like 92 of the counties will offer no health insurance at all under Obamacare. You know, for your listeners, there are not that many who are on Obamacare. You get on the exchange every year and you and you purchase through what used to be one of several insurance companies that were available in your county. Right. These insurance companies are peeling off because of the rules they have to operate under. Under Obamacare, they cannot make money. Insurance companies are not going to continue to offer health insurance if they are losing money. And when there are no insurance companies in a region or one insurance company in a region, but particularly none, that would be what we would call failing. 
<laughs> okay, Journal Sentinel. And uh, that will become more and more apparent every month as we go on. Let me, it seems to me that you, you cannot pick up a newspaper or turn on the television without seeing, again, one story after another about the Russian investigation. What, what do you make of all this? Is this a distraction to you as you try to do your job? Is there is there fire where there's smoke? Is there even smoke what, what is your assessment of this? I, I think over the weekend I had one person contact me in a back in the district. I will tell you, in the Capitol, we talk about the budget because we're in the middle of the budget. Uh, we talk about what's going on with the Senate and Obamacare. We dealt with human trafficking last week. We talk about the EPA. I, can, I can't remember the last time I've had another congressman in any of these meetings talk about what's going on in Russia or what went on with Russia. Um, just like I don't think uh, when when Bill Clinton took that big speaking fee and all of a sudden Hillary Clinton turned around and you know approved purchase of a lot of our uranium, which looked to some people like an outright bribe. Um, but in, th- in this situation, I it's just not talked about up here. It's not something, I think it may be some, uh, something maybe some of the Democrats talk about on the floor, but in, in my committees, when I talk to the Republican congressman socially, uh, in the gym in the morning, whatever, I hear nobody talking about it. Mm-hmm. Nobody. When I had an opportunity to talk to uh, Congressman Ryan the other day, he was very optimistic that there would be some major tax reform package that came out of Congress before the end of the year. Would, would you agree with that assessment? I'd be surprised if they're not, but like everything else, you've got 52 votes in the Senate, you need 50 people to get on board. Uh, there's a House plan floating around there, there's a Trump plan floating around. Neither one has the details connected, so it's kind of hard to say whether you like this plan or that plan without the details. I'm the number one thing I will be looking at it for is does it help the middle class? Um, because in Congress, it's always easy to buy into the idea of helping the the, the very, very wealthy, many of which pay more, more tax than they should. It's very easy to look out for the people who uh, maybe don't make a lot of money at all or aren't maybe trying to make that much money. And a lot of times people are not looking out for the middle class. So as I look at the, look at the proposals, I will be looking at how does it affect the average person. Congressman Glenn Grothman, thanks so much for joining me this morning. I do appreciate your time. Always glad to be on the show, Jeff. Okay, take care. That's uh, Congressman Glenn Grothman. Uh, we've talked about this before. Glenn and I go way back. Uh, Glenn Glenn went to Homestead High School, and Glenn was on the Homestead High School debate team at the same time I was on the Nicolay High School debate team. And so we, uh, we we used to debate against each other. We go back that, that far, and I appreciate him. We, we don't talk about the outcomes, but that's – but. He, he's gone on to have great success in politics and um, I think doing a great job as a congressman representing his district. And I'm I'm enjoying what I'm doing. And so we've just known each other for, for ages. And I appreciate Congressman Grothman um, coming on the program this morning. He actually had a front page article that was run in the, the Sheboygan Press talking about this whole EPA issue and, and essentially arguing that you got the federal government that just arbitrarily crippling some of our northern lakeshore counties um, with by putting them in an this, these non-attainment zones, when it, it's really not the problem, they're not the ones that are generating the stuff that causes the ozone gases. So you can check that out as well. 
1024, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The LPGA has issued a new dress code for ladies on tour, and some are less left questioning the motives and the consequences. Do you think it will impact their play? What about TV ratings? Get the details and join the debate during Scafidi and Bill Stett at 245 this afternoon. I do not know what that is all about. All right. To chip or not to chip? And I'm not talking about golf. This is a fascinating story. Um, I guess it was originally reported by KSTP. I, I saw it um, when I woke up this morning and was uh, watching today's TMJ4, my friends Susan Kim and Vinny Vitrano. All right, here, here is the deal. And my question is going to be, would you do this? A Wisconsin company. Is off. Okay, do you know what microchips are? You know, microchips are, of course, the processors that drive all our computers and things like that. There, there are also ways of identifying people. For example, my, my dog has a little microchip implanted in her so that if she were to ever, Lord forbid, get lost and someone would find. Because, yes, yeah, she, she's got a license and she's got tags, but those can theoretically come off. But the, the microchip, when she was, when we first got her, we had a, a microchip implanted in her, and I, I'm not sure, I want to say it's her shoulder, I'm not sure exactly where it is, but, but if she were to ever get lost, you could scan the microchip and her identifying information would, would come up. So it's a way of identifying lost animals. All right, a Wisconsin technology company. Hondo, have you heard the story about this? See, okay, you're, I'm, I'm going to be curious as how you would react. It's offering its employees microchip implants. So you work for this company. You can have a microchip implanted in your body. And then you could use the microchip. They, I guess they're going to put it in your hand. And you could use it to scan to get into the building. So like when, when I come into WTMJ, when I come in, I have a, I have a, a card key and I, I wear it around my neck. <laughs> um, I, and so I just, and so you go to the building, you scan the card key. Okay. I scan the card key to get into the, the parking lot. All right. I scan the card key to get into the, the studio where I work. You needed to get through all those levels. Well, okay. They would put a microchip in so that instead of having to fool around a card key, you just put your hand up to the door. It reads it and it opens it up. You could also use the microchip to purchase food at work. So you would have like an account, and instead of having to pay money in the vending machine or whatever, you just scan, put your hand up, and scan it, and you you get your food, and it charges your account. Um, Three Square Market, a company that provides technology for break room and micro markets, has over 50 employees who plan to have the devices implanted. Um, apparently it works within seconds. They're saying it's the next thing that's inevitably going to happen, and we want to be part of it. The company based in River Falls envisions um, the rice-sized microchip, allowing employees to easily pay for items, access the building, um, computers, all with the scan of their hand. Nobody has to do it, so it's not mandatory. But they say, hey, employees want to do this. It is a convenience. All right, I've been waiting all morning to discuss this with you. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If your company, if the place where you worked offered you the option, instead of having the card key that you carry on your belt or like I wear it around my neck, 
if they offer, and you know, and sometimes, let's face it, I mean, I, I have this certain routine I have with my card key to make sure that it's always in my car because I can't get into the parking lot unless I have it. But people forget these things all the time. If you had the option of instead of having to carry that card key, just having something implanted in your hand between like your forefinger and your middle finger or your thumb and your forefinger, just a, a little rice-sized chip that allowed you to wave it and automatically get entrance to the building would you do this? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Be honest. 1028, this is Jeff Wagner. 1037, Jeff Wagner, 620, WTMJ. Okay, would you do this? If your employer gave you the option, you don't need a card key anymore, Here's we're just going to implant a microchip. It's the size of a grain of rice. We put it in your hand between your thumb and forefinger. All you have to do, you don't need to carry that card anymore. You just, you, you want to get into the building. You want to get into the parking lot. You just hold up your hand. The card reader will find that. It isn't life like freight. You don't need to worry about this. Apparently, 50 employees at this company in River Falls have agreed to voluntarily do it. I guess I say go with God, but for a variety of reasons, um, I, I'm going to stick with the I'm going to stick with the card key around my neck. Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, Jeff. Mark me down for a big no. Okay, tell me why. Uh, for two reasons. One, because I think anyone who saw the recent movie, The Belco Experiment, would be freaked out to do it. But for me, I'd be concerned that after I got the implant, that things would start to escalate, mm-hmm. and it might get to the point where the company might start asking me questions about why I had steak for dinner. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me let me ask you the broader question because I, I have to tell you, the first time I thought of this, I mean, obviously, I, I wouldn't do it by choice either, but I'm wondering if I as I look into my crystal ball, is this going to be the wave of the future ten years from now? Will we all have microchips? So you you go you know that that are tied into our credit cards or whatever you know. So you go to the gas station. You know you don't have to pull out your card and stick it in the card reader. You just hold up your hands. I mean, is that going to be where we're going to be at ten years from now? Unfortunately, it probably is. But I'm definitely not going to be the first or probably <laughs> even five hundredth person to try it. Yeah. No. Thanks. I mean, see, I I I am wondering that that that's kind of like the big picture thing because again, f- fifty people I. I don't know what these folks are thinking. I mean, I, I just don't because this is so – it is so big brother to me. It, it's like, okay, I just – with all due respect, I, I appreciate that you know carrying the card keys can be of a bit of annoyance, but I, I don't want my employer <laughs> implanting things you know, in, in my hands even though if it's arguably convenience. And I understand they say it's not GPS tracking or things like that, but how – I mean, I guess how do you really know moving forward? But I, I am – Again, if you're trying to spot trends, I could easily see 10 years from now that this is just as a justification for convenience and and maybe arguably safety. I mean, maybe the argument would be, hey, if, if you want to eliminate credit card fraud, for example, you know, if you're afraid of people having their credit card numbers stolen or their credit cards stolen or something like that, well, here, it, it's just it's it's on this microchip. And you don't carry the cards anymore. It's just implanted in your hand, and that's how you purchase things. I, I understand it sounds maybe kind of crazy, but... I wonder if this is the wave of the future. Mike in Van Dyne. Mike, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yes, sir. Uh, good morning. Um, it would be a security disaster. Um, you know, if you've got a plant of maybe 30 or 40 people and they think that's a good idea, well, God bless them. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is 
you get into a plant of 50, 100, 200, 1,000, 10,000 employees, and uh, it will be an absolute security disaster because the security people won't know uh, if you belong in a certain area because you don't have a card. Right. Cards are color-coded today in the big companies. Right. Uh, and... Uh, it, 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 right. There's someone in the plant that that would who doesn't belong there. How are you going to know? Um, and if we're failing to deal with uh, with the safety issues, mm-hmm. uh, that is not one that we would uh, recommend. In fact, a, a decision like that really should go to the board of directors. Okay, what do you think about my premise that 10 years from now, this might be the technology? None of us are going to carry credit cards anymore. It's all going to be, you're going to have that microchip that's tied into your bank account and things like that. Um, 10 years from now, could that happen? Anything can happen. <laughs> Fair enough. But the fact, of the, matter, the fact of the matter is, it is not a good idea. Um, if people are concerned about Big Brothers watching, then uh, the the, the, the yeah, this is it. Will be all over the country. Oh, oh, yeah. No, thank, thanks for coming. Now, again, they they say that this company says it has no GPS component, but but you could easily. Okay, maybe this chip doesn't. But moving forward, and I don't know if that's the case, or I have no reason to believe the company's lying. But at, at the same time, you could easily see how that would would change. So your activities could be tracked. Hey, our text line is exploding. Big brother, here we come. With every freedom we give up, we're one step closer to government knowing everything we do and every play, everything we go, everywhere we go, everything we eat. And I think in time, life insurance companies will get ahead of of what we eat. And won't give us insurance policies because we eat fatty foods. Um, that that is. I mean, look that—that that is the concern, and one of the reasons. Again, I—I I don't, I don't understand what the employees are doing. If they offered, and I, I love this company, I do. But if they offered me the the option to have this, my response would be, no, this this little card key that I wear around my neck—that that's perfectly sufficient for me. Thank you. I, I I don't need that quote unquote added convenience. But the more I think about this stuff, I mean, I just think this is the this is the tip of the iceberg. And my guess is what's interesting is there's going to be a lot of people out there who would be willing to accept the convenience. If you said to somebody, hey, you don't have to fool around. You don't need to fool around with cash anymore. You don't need to fool around with credit cards. You know, for, forget the wallet. Forget that purse full of stuff. You know, you, you don't need that. All you need is this little chip in your hand, and it's going to tie together all your different accounts. It's going to give. It's going to be the identifying type of thing. Can't you easily see that? I mean, you know, you don't need a passport anymore. You know, you don't. You don't need. You don't need to carry the driver's license to get on the airplanes. All you need is this chip in your hand. You put it up there, and it automatically brings up all your identifying information. Can't you see? That at least being appealing to some people. Let's talk to Tom in Milwaukee. Tom, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah, about uh, 25 to 30 years ago, the company I worked for, the people at corporate had to have a, a regular card with a chip in it. Uh, the idea was in case there was a meeting, everyone knew where everyone was, right. blah, blah, blah. But the problem is there were chip readers in the bathroom doors. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, after a while, people said, okay, this is, this is Big Brother. This right. is the first time I heard that term, Big Brother. Right. And yeah, I'm with you. That, that's scary. It's going to escalate. That's a slippery slope. Uh, I don't want anything to do with it. Hopefully, I'll be long gone. <laughs> I'm 69 be, before it happens, and I'll be glad. 
Yeah, no, well, it would thank, I mean, I just, I mean, I'm just, you, you heard it here first, because that, that is the first thing I, I thought of. Again, now it, it's optional, people can decide. But I, I can just, and, and look, and I also understand Big Brothers everywhere. I get, I understand that when I go on the computer and I go to websites, I mean, when I go to Amazon, for example, they're tracking the type of stuff I buy. I understand all those things are going on, but at least in those cases, it's voluntary decisions I make. And, Candidly, I guess that doesn't bother me that much. But cannot you can't you see a situation where lots and lots of people, particularly maybe younger than me, maybe younger than you, are saying, "Well, okay, you know that's that's not a bad idea. You've got this identifying information that's there. Imagine the convenience." Now, to me, that's the ultimate big brother because once once you start allowing tracking and all your activities being tracked by an electronic device that you've been put in your hand, it, it's been put in your hand or your shoulder or wherever, then it's kind of Katie bar the door on, on any sort of privacy issues. But I guess if this were me and I worked for this company and they offered me the opportunity to have the microchip installed in the with the guise of, hey, it'll be more convenient. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to fool with dollar bills in the break room. You just wave your hand. I think I would wave my hand, but saying, nah, 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 I'd wave this particular thing off. But but I might be unique here. It's 1045. This is Jeff Wagner. Hey, coming up, uh, we've got a lot of stuff on today's program. Uh, new news about Foxconn. We will be discussing that. And the city of Milwaukee maybe saying no to the not-so-high-speed rapid bus line. Stick around. It's 1045. It's 1049, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ from Brewtown to Cooperstown. Milwaukee's own Bud Selig prepares for his induction into the Hall of Fame on Sunday. You'll hear from former the former commissioner of baseball at 420 today during Wisconsin's Afternoon News with John McCure. Um, very, very well deserved. I'm glad to see. Um, I understand Bud's been a little bit controversial, um, particularly like outside of Milwaukee, but there's no question. I mean, he's... Um, we would not have the Brewers were it not for Bud Selig, and uh, I think he's had a very distinguished career, and he certainly deserves it. All right, this is something that I'm not sure I have ever said on the program before. In all the years I have done this show, going on 20 years. Matter of fact, we um, started the 20th year, my 20th year at TMJ started about a week or two ago. All right, I'm not sure I've ever said this. Thank goodness for the Milwaukee Common Council. I, oh, my producer, Hondo, just kind of fell over in his chair. All right. For the last couple of years, I have tried to be one of the voices of sanity when it comes to this ludicrous idea of tearing up lanes of traffic along Wisconsin Avenue and Blue Mound Road to put in a, a so-called bus rapid transit route. These are essentially dedicated bus lanes. And the bus drivers would have the ability as they're driving along to adjust the um, the, the green light, the, the stoplight, so that they could go through them. And if you put this in place, the idea is if you wanted to go out to, say, Freighter, the medical complex, and you wanted to go from downtown, you could knock seven or eight minutes off the trip. Okay, that so that that's that's what we accomplish here. And the idea is, oh, this is going to be tremendous. You can knock seven or eight minutes off the trip. Well, okay. Seven or eight minutes to me isn't that big a deal. What would do, though, is in order to put these lanes in, you would be tearing up, you would be taking away lanes used either for parking or lanes used for for driving. Um, uh, They they would be gone. 
And so you would essentially make it for those of us who aren't going to be hopping on the bus to go out to freighter, and that's most of us. What you would do is you would add the commute time, Lord knows how much longer it would be, because instead of two lanes, you'd have one lane. It also, for the businesses, for example, along these routes, it would be a nightmare because, you know, imagine employees trying to pull out um, to, to pull out or to pull into work, you'd have to go through these, you'd have to go through these bus lanes and things like that. It's just a, a nightmare all to accomplish seven or eight minutes. And then, of course, there's this phony baloney study. And there's always these phony baloney studies out there that say, well, if you put this in, you, you know, you would increase ridership by, you know, X thousand people. And of course, if you do the math, it's just absurd because it essentially implies that everybody who's going to be driving a car is going to get out and ride the bus. All right. If you're going to, Again, you live in the North Shore, let's say, and you want to go to Freighter. Do you really tell me mean to tell me that you're going to drive downtown, find a space to park, park your car, hop on the bus, and take this bus out to the medical complex all to save seven or eight minutes? It's just it is completely and totally devoid of reality. Now, the one thing, and of course, in Waukesha, in Wauwatosa. That the Common Council, which has gotten extremely lefty, and the mayor sold out you residents in Wauwatosa by signing off on this. The county, this is Chris Abley's brainchild. Now, the one thing that might probably stop this is in order to make it work, everybody has said the feds have to pay for it. And so there's these applications for $45 million grants. I don't think that's going to happen. I, I just... I, I don't think the feds, at least in the foreseeable future, are going to give us tens of millions of dollars for this, this particular folly. But, you know, who, who knows? Well, what's happening is now the Common Council, the Milwaukee Common Council, they're putting the brakes on this because they, they originally signed preliminary approval. Apparently what happened is after they gave preliminary approval, um, they, they say we were just kind of cut out of the whole design loop. And they're looking at this and saying, hey, essentially, the, the bus lane, the bus lanes, they would tear up lanes, take away either parking lanes or driving lanes from the lake uh, along Wisconsin Avenue. Imagine this. Imagine, think of all those homes around Wisconsin Avenue all the way up to Hawley Road, just past Miller Park. And then this thing would jog over and take up lanes um, along Blue Mound Road. Think about how busy is Blue Mound Road, you know, beyond like 76th Street? Just think of all that. And they're going to take away lanes from the cars. They're going to take away parking lanes. You're now going to have to, if you're trying to go to some of those businesses along Blue Mound, you're going to have to navigate through rapid bus lanes. It would be a complete and total disaster. And the Milwaukee Common Council is now, and they might almost be unanimous in this, they're saying, wait a second. You know, we, we've been cut out of this whole design thing. This is going to create huge problems. And, you know, at least right now, we're not prepared to go ahead with this type of thing. Now, like I say, it needs more money. And I don't think the feds are going to kick in the money. And that might ultimately kill it. As I have believed all along, this isn't about the bus. This is part of this overall scheme to try to spend billions of dollars for, for light rail. The idea being, okay, we've got these dedicated bus lanes in now. I know. Let's run a trolley car out there. I think that's what this is ultimately all about. But the devastation for commuting, I mean, it's just imagine what happens when the weather gets bad or there's a collision on the freeway and people decide to use alternate routes like Wisconsin Avenue and Blue Mound. You take away two lanes on those roads. Can you imagine what that would be like? But, of course, the people who are pushing this – 
don't care about you if you drive. The idea behind this is we want to force people out of their cars. We want to make it so miserable, so many delays to drive that people just take the bus. Well, all right, I don't believe that's reality. That's not what's going to happen. People just aren't going to travel that route anymore. And if I lived along Wisconsin Avenue where this route was going in or Bloom or ran a business along Blue Mound Road or Wisconsin Avenue, I would be screaming bloody murder because you've got, again, some of these politicians who are deluded and high over the idea, we're going to get federal money, let's tear out lanes, let's try to force people out of their cars. It is just simply not the way that people operate and this bus rapid transit by creating dedicated lanes all right you know just just give me a break people aren't going to ride the bus in that effect if you want to experiment with things all right i mean give, maybe give bus drivers the right to monkey around with the traffic lights so they can get through them a little quicker but really you're going to take away two lanes of traffic along some of the most busy traffic roads with businesses and homes all to save a couple of minutes for somebody who wants to ride a bus between freighter and downtown this is the height of insanity it's just the height of insanity, and the Milwaukee Common Council of all groups is kind of perhaps putting the brakes on. Huh. Who would have thought? It's 1056. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1108. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. All right. Foxconn fever, should we catch it? Uh, this story, it, it actually, it's been percolating for a few weeks now. Um, you know, President Trump, last time he was in Wisconsin, alluded to the fact that, uh, that there might be some big foreign manufacturer who would be looking at locating in Wisconsin. And then um, it, it quickly came out that this was potentially Foxconn. Foxconn is, if not the world's largest manufacturer of flat-screen panels, it's it's one of the largest. Um, they, it's a company based in China. They've got operations in India. They make the, the flat-screen panels that go into your iPhones. Um, they make the panels that go into um, lots of video games. They, they make the um, flat-screen panels that go into uh, TVs. And, it, and it's, again, it's uh, an enormous company that employs an enormous number of people across the world. They do not have, Foxconn does not have any sort of significant U.S. presence. And for a variety of reasons, I, I think in part because they are concerned with like tariffs and potential trade war things, they're looking at locating plants in, in Wisconsin, in the country. And Wisconsin is apparently at the short list. There is a report this morning in the Wall Street Journal that implies that this decision may be announced within, again, the next day or two. And the, the thinking is that if Foxconn Fox, would come to Wisconsin, it would lead directly to about 10,000 jobs once they, they got going. Again, and we would hear, we'd be manufacturing and installing these panels um, on, on iPhones, but also the panels for big screen TVs. Also, there would be additional jobs, theoretically, because um, 
you would think that a number of the other companies that supply the materials to Foxconn that they then use for these installations, they would locate here. So, I mean, there would be that trickle-up effect as well. Um, Foxconn is a company, though, that has a history of demanding concessions. They understand that they bring a lot to the table. Um, they, they bring you know a ton of jobs, um, and they bring a lot to the table. So what they are, they have a history of of demanding that uh, there there be concessions that you know whether it's tax breaks to get them here, improvements in the infrastructure, whatever. And there there are some really smart people who estimate that over a, a twenty year period of time, the type of the, the, to satisfy Foxcroft's demand, Foxcroft, Foxconn's demands, the um, you you might be looking at. I don't know, a billion, two billion dollars worth of incentives over time to bring these various jobs in. It would perhaps, though, have the opportunity to be a game changer for Wisconsin. You don't think of us as being a technological hub. This would perhaps change that. And there was a report in the local newspaper over the weekend about how um, apparently one of the one of the areas that they're looking at for this Foxconn plant would be down in in Mount Pleasant. And so they're already um, trying to uh, scoop up some different land that would be ultimately turned over to um, Foxconn. And the story in the Journal Sentinel was about how some people didn't want to sell. Uh, They might not have any choice because of the whole concept of eminent domain. But but this Foxconn thing appears to be, this isn't just pie in the sky. Detroit is apparently also vying for the, the same business, but a lot of people seem to think that um, Wisconsin, particularly southeastern Wisconsin, has the um, upper hand in this. This would be probably, if it was located where they're talking about, it would be in Paul Ryan's congressional district. So from a political perspective, locating a facility like this in um, the district where it's the Speaker of the House of Representatives, that's that's probably a plus. But they're talking about the, the incentive plans as well. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, I, You know, it's interesting to me that, you know, some of the usual suspects, like the editorial writers at the Journal Sentinel, who have never seen a public expenditure of taxpayer dollars that they oppose, are writing stories about, well, you know, you we need to do cost-benefit, and you need to make sure this is a good deal for the taxpayers. Others are saying, hey, look, this could be a game-changer for the state, and we need to do what we got to do to get them here. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here, Here is the, the reality. You know, when it comes to economic development, we spend a lot of money trying to lure small manufacturers or trying to keep manufacturers here. Sometimes it works, like uh, witness Mercury Marine. Sometimes it, it doesn't work. This, though, to me, is a game changer. It is potentially a game changer for this area, for southeastern Wisconsin, and for the state. I understand that there's some reservations here. You know, what kind of technology jobs are these really going to be? But this is something that I think could give the economy in the state of Wisconsin a shot in the arm and and something that that could be a generational type of thing. So do I think in this case you got to spend money to make money? Yes. Do you want to overpay? No. But I think we got to do everything we possibly can 
to land this business. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. And my sense is that we're kind of on the, we being Wisconsin, are sort of on the inside track to this. I think you got to follow through and you got to see if you can seal the deal. 414-799-1620. Foxconn fever. Do you want to catch it or should we just say no? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1115. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1117, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, Foxconn says that it's looking at seven states in the U.S. where it would invest a total of 10 B as in billion dollars to manufacture flat panel screens and related equipment. Um, in addition, Wisconsin in, in, in Wisconsin is one of the states that they are looking at for a possible plant. The speculation is at the plant they would build the uh, flat screen, it would build flat screen TV uh, panels, the the screens. Um, the yes, like I say, they're talking about investing a total of ten billion or more. That wouldn't necessarily all be in Wisconsin, but this would be a big deal. Estimates are it would lead to at least directly ten thousand jobs. But in order to do this, Foxconn is going to want considerations that that's just it and some people call this corporate welfare others would call it an investment i think this is a once in a generation opportunity to give our economy a a a huge boost because the reality is a lot of the old style manufacturing that the a.o smiths of the world and the briggs and strattons of the world those jobs that when i was getting out of high school somebody with a high school degree could you know you could graduate with a decent work ethic you could get a job at one of those factories and carve out a pretty good middle class life for yourself a lot of those manufacturing jobs are gone and the truth is they're not coming back that's just the reality this is a way i think to move Again, the state of Wisconsin into the 21st century. 414-799-1620. And look, I appreciate you you don't want to do stupid stuff and overpay. But if you're talking about a nat, an international giant who is willing to invest a ton of money in the state, yeah, I think the state needs to pony up money as well. Don't let this opportunity go away. Steve in Kenosha. Steve, you're in 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. My biggest question is, I question the commitment or what Foxconn says they're going to make. I mean, it doesn't make a lot of sense if they're going to build subcomponents to phones or TVs just to ship all those subcomponents back to China to have the end component manufactured. So I, I wonder how much investment or what they're going to really build. It's one thing for them to build end components that they turn around and ship right to Amazon for sale. Right. But it doesn't make sense if they're going to ship stuff back to China to to put into end components. Right. No, I, I think what I would suspect what is more likely ultimately going to happen is you're going to see Foxconn do more manufacturing for exactly that reason in the United States. That's one of the reasons why I think it's not just Foxconn. I think what would happen if Foxconn located let's say they let's say they want a plant that they're going to they're going to manufacture the the giant flat screen panel TVs i think what would be more likely it would happen also is that you'd have a lot of the companies that make the component parts that that go into whatever you have to do to make these giant flat screen panels i think a lot of those companies would be inclined to locate in this same area so they're close to provide the stuff to foxconn right but it's who foxconn sells their subcomponents right. to Right. Well, I mean, Foxconn makes the LCDs, but then yep. have to ship all the way back to China nope. to build the Apple phone iPhone. Right. No, that I doesn't I, make any sense. 
financial no, sense for Foxconn. No, no, I think, no, no. See, and I, I understand what you're saying. That's why I think, I see. I think part of this this whole thing is you build these plants here. My guess is that th- there's also at some point in time they're going to start assembling stuff in the United States for exactly that reason, right? You don't. Does it make sense to build a giant flat sc- panel for a large screen TV here? and then ship it halfway across the world for ultimate installation. My guess is no. That's why my, my guess is that what you're going to see is this is the starting point of, of again, more business coming here. And I, I think part of this, look, part of this is because I think there's a lot of concerns about trade wars and tariffs and things like this. And if a company, an international giant like Foxconn, gets – a, a foothold, you, you and make the investments in businesses in the United States. Then you, you you take this whole trade war thing, you know, the tariffs and all that. You take that off the out of the equation because then no, now you're producing stuff in America. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess I mean I think these are fair questions, but but this is this is the game changer to me. If Foxconn is seriously willing to invest billions of dollars in building plants and they're willing to choose southeastern Wisconsin, that's the type of opportunity that you have to aggressively go for because, again, I think it can be a game changer. Now, on our text line, I mean, there's very good questions. People are saying, well, what kind of jobs are these going to be? You know, are, you know, and Foxconn, look, Foxconn, one of the reasons why they are located in China is they have a history of paying um, very, very low wages. I mean, just very, very low wages to um, very, very low wages to to their workers. I mean, typically, tip, typical of what you see in Indiana, in India, in India, and in you know China. So obviously, you know, they would have to pay wages that fit more in the U.S. standard. Are, are these fifty dollar an hour jobs? I doubt it. But at the same time, I also doubt that they're minimum wage jobs. Plus. You know, you're going to, they are going to be jobs. And, and that's one of the keys. We've been talking about jobs and jobs and jobs. You know, obviously, if they're in the technology industry, that's going to create, I think, this ripple effect. I mean, this is the type of thing. I get the whole argument about corporate welfare, but, oh, man, I think he's got to take advantage of it. Katie in Burlington. Katie, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. I think my one concern is will they find a big enough qualified workforce? Right. And what I mean by that is that I help my husband find find drivers for his job. I, I see it all the time. These 19, 20, 21-year-olds, all they've accomplished in their life is basically maybe fathering or mothering two kids out of wedlock. And they want 15 to 16-hour jobs. Right. They want Monday to Friday. They want no weekends. They want the world. for for. And when you ask basically, well, what are you qualified for? It's like offensive to ask that question. So I really wonder mm-hmm. if these, they, I hope they would find enough people right. to fill these positions. Well, I think it, at the very least, Katie, I mean, I think that there will be, my guess is you have a lot of professionals who are already working in this field now who might be attracted to, to Foxconn, which would also deal with the whole wage issue because, you know, you're obviously going to have to pay competitive wages. Um, I, I think... This is going to be a boon for a lot of the technical colleges and things like that because now they're going to say, hey, we've got this hub that is developing, if it develops in your neck of the woods, you know, southeastern Wisconsin, you know, this it's developing the, this this hub, so we need people. I mean, I guess I just think it's a win-win thing. But, right, you know, where are the people who are going to staff these jobs going to come from? Fair question. 
I really hope that it, it does come. I do think the possibility for expansion in a positive direction is really there, and I would love to see it for Racine County. Yeah, no, thank right, exactly, and 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 again, I, I think, I mean, the, you know, how does this stuff play out, and, and how does a company that's you know has enormous plants in China, where there's different standards in the United States or in India, you know, how does that play into effect? But at the same time, you know, we we talk about you know business development, and I see, I just don't think you can. I don't think you can turn your nose up at 10,000 at 10,000 jobs. And would we really feel better next Friday? Say if you pick up the newspaper, you turn on the radio news. And the report is Foxconn is building this plant in Detroit. And Detroit, Michigan, they're going to get the plant, not southeastern Wisconsin. I mean, do we really – is that really the situation that we want to be in? Debbie in Menominee Falls. Debbie, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, I kind of want to piggyback on what the last caller said. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine this weekend whose company had dealt with Foxconn, and they said they they stopped dealing with them because of the – fact that they have very low wages, they don't treat their employees very well, they have what they call employee housing, where the employees live there, they have to live there, and they're paid, or they're given a food stipend there, mm-hmm. and they end up making like five cents on the dollar to take home. Yeah. But of course, that's, my guess is there's lots of business, that's how people do business in China and, and maybe in India. That doesn't mean... Obviously, you're not going to have these company. That's that's obviously not going to work in in Mount Pleasant, Wisconsin. Um, so clearly, right. they're going to have to change their business practices to adopt to you know the U.S. labor standards and things like that. Correct. Yeah, I guess that, I mean I mean I guess so that's look. I, I mean I guess I'm not sure it's fair to say. All right, um, you know Nike operates this particular way at their plant. I don't know if Nike has a plant in India, but you know or, or China or whatever. Um, right, it's it's just different. I'm not condoning it. I'm just saying it's different. That's why you know for Foxconn to come, Foxconn to come here, I think some respects it it's, would be kind of a culture shock that's there. And look, I agree that you don't want to overpay. But again, let me just go back to the last thing I said. Do you really want to wake up, turn on WTMJ News at 6:30 Friday morning, and hear that this investment of billions of dollars? It's going to lead to thousands and thousands and thousands of jobs and maybe other sort of jobs supplying, you know, the Foxconn plant. Do you really want to hear that this is being built in Detroit um, as opposed to Mount Pleasant or wherever? And I guess my answer would be no. It's 1128. This is Jeff Wagner. Eleven thirty-five. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. I intentionally, I intentionally uh, kind of delayed this this topic to the end of the program because it is difficult, it is frustrating, it is aggravating, it is incredibly, incredibly tragic. It is the story of the the six year old boy who was hit and killed um, the other day. Um, here, here's the. Here's the, the message that the, the family put up um, as part of their GoFundMe account. On July 22nd, 2017, my nephew was gunned down. My nephew was gunned down on the 3600 block of North 
23rd Street. His name was Justin Evans Jr. He was six years old. He came over with siblings to visit their grandmother until Justin and his stepdad went fishing. My nephew never made it fishing. My nephew ran to tell his mom he was leaving when shots rang. There were lots of children and residents outside. After the shots, my sister-in-law carried her child and rushed him to the nearest hospital. He later died due to his injuries. My nephew was so excited to go fishing that day. He just caught his first fish Wednesday. My nephew loves sports fishing, being a big brother and simply a loving soul. Someone has taken that loving soul, and we were asking for any donations towards memorial and burial costs. He was excited to start school again. Um, yeah, this is the details are, are still kind of emerging, but it, it it's Saturday. The, the kids six-year-old he he's at at grandmother's and i I don't know if it was a drive-by shooting i I don't know exactly they're saying he was hit by a stray bullet but there's kids that are out and they're just bullets start start flying um yesterday afternoon um community members walked around the neighborhood where the child was shot you know chanting you know stop the violence with peace and love um, city leaders were at the gathering. Mayor Tom Barrett urged faith and community leaders to join together, this is the way the Journal Sentinel reports it, to help curb gun violence. Here's what the mayor says. We can't expect help from the outside. We've waited for help from Washington. We've waited for help from Madison. It's not coming. It has to come from this neighborhood. It has to come from the, the city. Um, Alderman Ashanti Hamilton says... People in neighborhoods across the city need to unite in order to make a difference. We have the power to change this. There's not a whole lot we can do to bring justice to Justin, to bring him back, but we can bring him justice, and we can create a better community that's absent the gun violence that's plaguing so many of our neighborhoods. Journal Sentinel reports that since 2010, 10 children have been killed by gunfire in in Milwaukee. Um, it It's... There's nothing good that comes out of it. So far this year, 64 homicides have occurred in the city of Milwaukee. As I always tell you, homicides are, are just but one indicator of the level of violence. You, you look at shootings because every time every time there's a shooting, it could be a homicide. And a lot of times the fact that it's not a homicide is just luck or bad aim or a tribute to medical science or whatever. But But there is, in many communities in the city of Milwaukee, there is this unacceptable level of violence and every time there is a story like this every time it's the little girl that gets shot because somebody drives past a house and mistakes it for gee i think this is a house where there's drug dealing going on and shoots at the house and the bullet goes through and hits and kills a little girl or you know who knows what this was but people you know shooting guns in a packed neighborhood on a saturday where there's kids all around and, and then you have this this incredibly tragic loss of life you know every, every time you know we get we get appropriate outrage i mean everybody any decent caring person should be outraged by this um but but then you get the conversation, you know, we we need to, you know, we need to create a better community. We, we need to unite to make a difference. Well, in this particular case, I mean, I, I agree with what the alderman is saying. I agree to an extent with what the mayor is saying um, that that, you know, if you're going to help neighborhoods, it, it has to it has to come from that. I think, unfortunately, there are too many people in too many neighborhoods in our community here, across Wisconsin, and across the country who are 
willing to accept this type of thing, not necessarily the shooting of a six-year-old child, but are willing to accept the violence as just an everyday way way of life. The idea, whether it's the no-snitching culture that you see, I mean, it, it, it drives me nuts on a daily basis to, you know, read and the different focus on the different crime stories. You hear about these different crime stories. You hear about the, the hit and runs. You hear about the various shootings. And you hear that the police are investigating. Well, the reason they end up having to investigate so many of these things is because, you know, there are at least some people in the community who have decided that rather than coming forward and cooperating with the police and telling people what they know and who was responsible for that hit and run and who was responsible for the shooting, you know damn well that there's somebody in that neighborhood who knows who was involved and who was responsible for for firing whatever shots hit this little boy. You know that there are people who know that. And, you know, and at least as of this morning, you know, there still wasn't anybody in custody. So, I mean, I agree with the I agree with the the mayor that it has to come from the city. It has to come from the neighborhood. But what is frustrating to me is that there are so many people out there who apparently and I don't know that it's a majority, but there's apparently so many people out there that are willing to subscribe to the no snitching culture, the no cooperation culture. They're willing to tolerate levels of violence like this that lead to six-year-old boys being shot. It is an outrage. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I I think, actually, the mayor is on to something. Now, whether anything comes of this, I I don't know. But it has to start at the community level. I think communities have to rise up and say, we've had enough of this. We demand action. We demand huge police presence to get the criminal element out of our communities. We demand that the judges wake up, and when you catch people who are involved in this sort of criminal activity, we demand that they issue sentences that keep these dangerous people off the streets. I mean, are are we willing, are we really willing to retake our communities from these these unacceptable levels of violence? Will anything happen as a result of this latest horrific incident 414-799-1620 that's the accident mortgage talk and text line i hope so i do i do i do but what is so frustrating is i've been doing this job for a long time and i i just you just see this and people are appropriately appalled and they're outraged and you have the marches and then three days later there, there's something else and there's some other similar outrage can we really commit to taking back our streets? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. It's 1143. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1146. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. And I, I, I say this topic for last because I, I admit I'm frustrated. I don't have the answers to it. But, you know, a six-year-old boy uh, shot, killed Saturday evening, you know, over at his grandmother's house, a quote-unquote stray bullet, whatever that means. Somebody fires off a gun. I don't know if there was a uh, drive-by sh- I don't know what's going on. They, they haven't released the details of that yet. But this, this kid gets hit. He's, he's killed. And, you know, this is the 10th the child that's been killed in Milwaukee in the last few years. And they have a march yesterday. And everybody's appropriately outraged about this. 
But, you know, the, the mayor and some of the aldermen are saying, well, you know, we have to, this is the community. The community has to say, essentially, we're going to take back our streets. And and I, I agree. I mean, that's, that is where that is where it ends up starting. You know, I, whenever you have these stories about the, for example, the, the crazy driving in the city of Milwaukee, the people driving at 80 miles an hour that inevitably ends in somebody being hit and killed in a hit and run crash. You know, the TV goes out and they always interview people and the folks are always saying, oh, this is a speedway here. This is where people are driving. Nobody does anything. Well, okay, what... I guess, and I, I appreciate the frustration, but I kind of wonder why is nobody doing anything? Why aren't the neighbors out there saying, okay, if the cops aren't going to do something, we're going to be here, we're going to be taking license plates, and we're going to monitor every car that goes by at 60 miles an hour, and then we're going to the local police station. We're going to present that evidence, and we're going to demand they do something. And if they don't, we're going to go to the alderman. We're going to go to City Hall, and then we're going to follow through on this stuff, and we're going to go down to the courthouse, and we're going to sit in, and we're going to watch some of these judges when they hand out sentences unfortunately it shouldn't have to be that way but i do think i do think if you're going to get a handle on some of these communities where this stuff is out of control what you have to do it's got to start with the grassroots i guarantee you i guarantee you if you have if you have a situation where you have somebody who's stealing a bunch of cars a bunch of cars in a particular area, and they, they're coming up, they get caught, they're coming up for sentencing. I guarantee you, if 30 or 40 people from some of the neighborhoods that were plagued sit in that courtroom and stare whatever Milwaukee County judge is handing the sentence down in, its, in his or her face, I guarantee you that it would be a lot harder to issue some of the ridiculous sentences that get issued. Dave in Appleton. Dave, you're on 620 WTMJ. Afternoon. Hi, Dave. Good morning, I mean. Sure. Um... There is something you can do. Take every police officer in the city of Milwaukee and put them hand-in-hand hand and walk through those neighborhoods. And you, if you have to come, uh, Barrett wants some help from the state, get the National Guard in and go door-to-door. Door. Mm-hmm. I'm so sick to death of hearing about known drug houses. Right. And now you have the known prostitution neighborhoods that were right. going and burn the houses down. I mean, arrest everybody. Well, I mean... you got found with a gun. Well, well, but, you know, but, of course, part of the problem then, Dave, is when you try to do that, when you try to have the saturation patrols, for example, or the aggressive policing, then you get the ACLU types and some of the more liberal politicians in the community who say, well, no, no, we we don't want people being stopped. We don't want people to figure like it's a police state. In some respects, you just can't win. Well, and that's the problem. They yep. sit there and they go, well, what are you going to do with them? Yeah, 95% of the problem in your community is the minority community. I'm sorry. This is why you have the problems. Whatever social ramifications are underlying all that is one thing, but these are the criminals. Arrest them over and over and over again until they get the idea. Well, thank See, I mean, I guess, see, that, and that's, I mean, that is, it is part of the problem that if you, if you decide to be aggressive, um, we're going to, all right, this is it. We're going to target, and I, look, I say target the high crime areas. I, I don't care what the racial makeup of a particular community is. I say you look at the numbers. Where, where are the shootings occurring? Where are the, where are the robberies occurring? Where are your problems? And again, I don't care if it's a neighborhood that's predominantly black or white or brown or green or blue or orange. I, I want you, I want, I want you going where the crime is. 
And if it's let's flood the streets with with cops. But of course, the problem is you try to do that, and then you get a lot of the people who show up at the community meetings who are outraged. There's cops on the street. Well, yeah, there's cops on the street because you got six year old kids who are being shot by stray bullets. For goodness' sakes, I mean, at some point in time, the communities I think have to decide what do you want. I mean, do you want to have that aggressive police presence? And I see, I, I do think that, that part of it is you have to be willing to do what it takes to take back your neighborhoods. And it's unfortunate, but I will tell you, you know, this type of stuff doesn't go on in the suburbs as a general rule. Is there crime in the suburbs? Yeah, I get it. But, you know, you don't have the huge instances of crime because the community won't tolerate it. I mean, seriously, the Journal Sentinel's been running a story about the guy up in Bayside who makes, you know, all this money. I don't have a problem if Bayside's happy with paying him. That's fine. But, I mean, all right, if you had drive-by shootings going on in Bayside, for example, or if you had people being assaulted or you had a, an area of Bayside that was being overrun by prostitutes, do you think it would be allowed to continue? Hell no. Because the community would not tolerate it. They'd be storming City Hall. The police chief would be out on his butt. The elected officials would be out on their butt. The community would not tolerate it. And if you had repeated criminals that were operating you know, crimes in Bayside and the judges were just slapping their wrists, do you think they'd be able to get away with it? No, they, they wouldn't. Ozaki County or Washington County or Waukesha County, you know, if you had a judge or judges that were handing down the sentences that they hand down in Milwaukee County for the crimes that are committed, Committed, they, those judges would be out on their butts next time they're up for re-election. People would care about that. So, I mean, I do think, and maybe this isn't necessarily the interpretation that some of these elected officials were had, but I had, but I do think, you know, the communities have to, they got to take it back. And it, and it starts with that community. It starts with, okay, forget this no snitching policy. We, somebody knows who fired those shots you know, yes, we are going to cooperate with the police. Somebody knows who's selling the dope in those cars. Yes, we're going to cooperate with the police. Somebody knows who's doing those strong-arm robberies. That's where it starts, taking back the streets. And if this tragedy, this unspeakable horror, motivates some people to, to finally recognize that, yeah, we've got to come together as the community and we've got to stand up and say enough is enough. Well, maybe that is a silver lining in an otherwise very, very dark cloud. It's um, 11.53. When we come back, we'll find out what Scafidi and Bill Stat have on their minds. Stick around.